Spooky South Coast, a little bit of a belated edition, but we're going to be here for as long as we can hold out here at uh, WBSM. We're going to have close to a full show, but uh, no matter how long we're on for, we promise you we will have plenty of good paranormal talk because we have a special guest in the studio who's going to talk to us about some local New England hauntings and legends, but we'll get to that in just a few moments. Uh, We want to throw out the phone numbers first. 508-996-0500, 508-291-1420, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500 for Wareham and the Cape. Give us a call. Talk to us about all things paranormal. We want to let everybody out there know that on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, we have a brand new message board just put up uh, yesterday. And uh, what this message board is going to allow you to do, it's going to allow you to directly interact with us because we've had some problems with our email server. We've had some problems with people trying to get in touch with us that way. Uh, so what we did is we created this message board so that you can talk directly to us. We check it every day. There's uh, sections on there to talk about not only the show, guests you'd like to see on the show. There's a room to talk about things that are happening on the show live. Hopefully, eventually, we can get the computer in the studio to work so we can interact with you during the show. You can send us questions that way and, and things you want to talk about that way. And also, there's a whole section there on all things paranormal. Ghosts, spirits, aliens, UFO sightings, abductions, cryptozoology, crop circles, anything you want to talk about. We even put a section up for the Bridgewater Triangle because that's such a popular subject here on Spooky South Coast. So you can log on to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. At the top of the page, you click on the message board, and that's your way to get in. We do ask that you register so that we can keep track of who's using the board, and that gives us an opportunity to really get to know who's listening and to interact. So, But tonight... We have a, a very special guest in the studio with us who has his own website. He's Christopher Balzano. First with local news, talk. Well, second, right after we introduce Christopher Balzano, the administrator of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website. And uh, he's been running that website for the last three years. He's a graduate of Emerson College. He's been investigating the paranormal for 10 years. He's been published in Mysteries Magazine and Haunted Times. And he's been interviewed and featured by the Boston Globe, the Boston Herald, and Worcester Magazine. He just signed a book deal to write Cursed Wood, Satanism, Crime, and the Paranormal in the Freetown State Forest, which should be a page-turner. Anybody that knows about the history of the Freetown State Forest, we'll get into that. And he's currently a librarian for the Suffolk University Law School. We welcome Christopher Bolzano. How are you tonight, Chris? Excellent. Thanks for having me in. Oh, we're more than happy to do it because we've been doing this show now for about two months, and I think there isn't a show that goes by that we don't reference your site all the time and and talk about the the various reports. It really is like it's it's the destination point to find this stuff out. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) And and when you started, how did you come up with the idea of putting together this site? Um, Well, originally, uh, a friend and a friend and I had started collecting stories on our own, and we thought that the, the best way to kind of reinforce what we'd already found and to collect more stuff was to put up a website. So neither of us are web designers, neither of us had any kind of experience. Put up a free site, 
and just hope people would be able to find it and be able to email us and and from there it's just expanded and expanded so right now you know we we get you know several hundred guests a day and um and some of them are courteous enough to you know share information with us and then uh we're just kind of building our our base of information and that's one thing that we hope that the audience uh, does for us tonight is that they share some of their stories uh by calling us 508-996-0500 508-291-0500 so that we can make sure that you know we get these reports out there and because you have a lot of mention of stuff in this area on your website you call bristol county the cursed county yeah definitely i'd say probably 75 percent of the people that respond to uh to the site are from bristol county um, I think it's probably the most haunted area in all of Massachusetts, if not all of New England. And so it's exciting to be able to get out to this area and uh, and see if we can kind of collect some more information and, and kind of get the word out. Well, well, we're more than happy to have you, but have you come to any conclusions as to maybe why it's, it's such a hotbed of paranormal activity? Well, one of the things I'm going to be exploring in, in my book is uh, whether it's a chicken or the egg kind of kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the violence and a lot of the the uh, paranormal happenings that occur in Bristol County are due to the violence that occurred during the King Philip's War, um, where both sides were um, involved in some of the most brutal battles that have ever occurred uh, in American war history. Although most of them weren't battles, they were massacres. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that that tension between the colonists at the time and the Native Americans that lived here has caused negative energy to kind of remain here. And, and one of the things we've talked about, our science advisor, Matt Moniz, is with us. And uh, one of the things he's mentioned as well is that the water around this area lends to a high level of conductivity. So it's almost like this negative spirit exists here already. And to have this you know, high water concentration helps it manifest and, and, and carry that energy through. And it just seems like it's got to be you know, one of the most unique areas in terms of paranormal activity. Where you know, a- anything from a UFO sighting to even a Bigfoot sighting out around the Hockamock Swamp, area i mean there's there's a lot of this stuff going on yeah and you have to ask yourself why is there such a high concentration why are certain areas in bristol county higher than have a higher concentration of paranormal happenings than others and a lot of it has to do with you can go with with one side which is the 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 scientific side and the water and things like that or you can go with the with the emotional side, and, and it's, it's probably the answer somewhere in between. That's something I've, I've brought up a lot is the emotional aspect of this area because there seems to be, maybe it's just because we live here and, and we experience it more on a daily basis, but there seems to be a negative attitude, unfortunately, a lot of the times around here, a lot of depression. There's a, I mean, I, I work with people in the mental health field uh, that have told me there's a high rate of depression in this area, mm-hmm. you know, and some of that could be socioeconomic factors, some of it could be, um, you know, ethnic background factors, and, and a lot of it could be that this area just has that kind of a dark cloud over it. I, I completely agree with you, and, and I think that that whereas Bristol County might have the highest concentration of paranormal happenings, it seems that Plymouth County has the highest concentration of mental, uh, mental health institutions, both closed and still open in the state. Now, why do you think that is? Do you think maybe it's they're, is it because they're in an area away from the areas where they need to be? They're trying to get in a different setting? Or do you think there's a lot of history of mental health in Plymouth County? Mental I think health there's, a, there's a history of mental health uh, problems in Plymouth County. Very interesting. And, and I think that I, I actually worked in, uh, for the uh, juvenile justice system for about five years. And so I can tell you that based on the crimes that happen in certain areas, that, that you have people from Bristol County that are, you know, in, in my case, locked up 
mm-hmm. in places that are in Plymouth County. So it's not necessarily if you're in Plymouth County, you're from Plymouth County, but generally you're from the surrounding areas. So it just kind of reinforces that whole theory that there's something wrong with this area of the state. And it's it's strange to think about that the you know the the place where you live could have a direct effect on who you are as a person. You know, normally. You, People look at it and they say, oh, you know, the New Bedford area, the South Coast area, and they make a blanket statement about, you know, good or bad, they make a blanket statement based on the people that live there, and it could be the exact opposite. It could be right. the people are a reflection of the actual land and the actual, you know, climate of the area. Not not climate weather-wise, but, the, you know, the atmosphere and, and the mood and feeling of the area. And the two interesting things about that is, is on a today kind of basis, um, you can actually track, uh, when we would get, for example, when we would get a juvenile offender in, um, you could almost tell what their crime was going to be based on what part of the state they were from. Really? It's, it was really interesting. And then the other part of that is is going back, um, which is why I said the chicken and the egg kind of theory, is that um, there's also some talk that Native Americans thought that about this area before we ever got here. I mean, that that is true. I mean, you, you hear that in a lot of... Right. Uh, historical books and, and and the Native Americans had a lot of respect for what these supernatural forces are. And then when the quote unquote white man came in and basically slaughtered these Indians and, and moved them out. And now I'm not talking about the the Western expansion that a lot of people are familiar with from history class. King Philip's War is something that's not really taught in a lot of classrooms. No, and it was really just pushing the Indians out of the area, killing them, taking over, and not totally understanding what it was that we were trying to inherit. And, and I I did a kind of a, a informal survey of history books, having worked as a teacher for five years and, and tutoring since then, and you'd never get much more than a paragraph of, of information about King Philip's War. And, and I've seen it classified as a revolt or a rebellion almost against the, you know, it was the fact that the, the uh, English settlers came over, the Indians helped them, and then once the English settlers felt that they had a good grip on what they needed to do to survive... You know, they just pushed the Indians out. And it wasn't that at all. It was a bloody, bloody massacre, as you said. Yeah, and, and a lot of it actually had to do with a lot of Native American violence against other Native Americans, the Wampanoags being probably the strongest uh, nation at that time. Everyone kind of jumped on the bandwagon of that. And people were, were picking sides, and um, a lot of it had to do with religion and conversion. And so I think that I think emotionally religious kind of confrontations, whether it be internally, like your own struggle with what you believe, or mm-hmm. whether it's it's Protestants versus Christians versus, you know, different religions against each other, creates a lot of emotion. It's, it's kind of the one issue that always sparks emotion. And I think that kind of tension also led to a lot of the, the negative energy that has existed since the King Philip's War. All right, well, we're going to take a quick one-minute break. We'll be back on the other side. We want to hear from you, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500 for Wareham in the Cape. We know you have some stories that you'd like to share with us. We're ready to hear them and ready to believe you here on Spooky South Coast. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast, a belated edition here, but we're still going to squeeze in as much good paranormal talk as we can before uh, 
the little men in white coats come in here to take us away for the evening. And it's true, too. Don't don't underestimate that. We actually do leave here in tra- straight jackets sometimes for the stuff we talk about. Matt, don't you have your own straight jacket, I, I heard? Yeah, one or two. Yeah. You, it's better if you can get your own personalized one. It fits better. So we are talking with Christopher Balzano, the administrator of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website. You can log on to your computer right now. Check that out at masscrossroads.com. And, of course, on SpookySouthCoast.com, click on our blog. We have links to all the sites that we'll talk about tonight during the course of the program. Now, we're getting into some of the uh, reasons why this area has such a high rate of paranormal activity but in what time frame did it really start to become known? I mean, was this something that in the 70s, 80s, as, as paranormal research became popular, is it something that popped up, or was it something that's always been talked about? I think it's something that's always existed underneath. Um, I think that it took the form of crime in in uh, the earlier parts of this century, kind of leading up to, into the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the the more attention that people have given to uh, what's going on out there in terms of ghosts and the paranormal, that it's kind of come to light, but I think it's always been there. Um, I think that negative energy that exists here can take different forms. It can, like we talked about, influence you know, in terms of the, the way people think or the way that they, they interact with other people, and then can also take the form of, of ghosts or, like you said, UFOs and, and, and things like that. So I, I think that... Yeah, basically that's it. <laughs> well, I think it's strange that, you know, uh, this big resurgence in the paranormal and the mainstream media has been, I mean, let's face it, it's, it's pretty much tied into the fact that the Sci-Fi Channel came out with Ghost Hunters, and it hit it big. I mean, I know there were some other smaller fringe right. programs the last few years, but once that show kind of hit it big, it drew a lot of interest into this area. And as people in this area know, Ghost Hunters does a lot of research just in the southern New England area because there's such a high level of concentration in right, that right. in that area. And I, and I think when I get responses from people, they don't always necessarily say, I have a ghost in my house right now. Mm-hmm. It's this happened to me 20 years ago. And so that kind of reinforces that it's been here all along. People are just getting uh, their first opportunity to talk about it. And, I and think- the Internet has helped, I think, as much as, as anything that's on television with that because, you know, we can pass information quicker. You can find people out there that have experienced the same thing as you. And I've had people that tell me, you know, I just never had anyone to talk to about this. And the the other ad, uh, advantage of the internet is that you can keep it anonymous if you want to, right, right. you know. And then a lot of people will say, "Hey, I don't want to take an anonymous report because I can't verify it." But I mean, you can. I'm sure you can tell when you get the reports and when it's somebody trying to make something up and when it seems like it's something that's really plausible. I mean, and that's how I evaluate whether a story ever happened. I never try to go out there and prove someone wrong. I'm, mm-hmm. Other people kind of approach it from that perspective, but I'm collecting information and I'm collecting um, as much as many stories as I possibly can from people and kind of finding, you know, common threads through them and things like that. So what I think of more when I talk to someone or when someone emails me is, what is their credibility? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do that a lot more than what, what a, a, a meter or a thermometer might say. I mean, there's, there's the understanding that you have to approach these things with a healthy dose of skepticism and you have to go in. Some groups do, like you said, look to disprove uh, and they're trying to, you know, tell this person you're not experiencing a ghost. I think maybe the way to look at it to incorporate everything in terms of uh, psychology and, and even in parapsychology is to say to the person, let's figure out why it is that you think you're seeing this. Right, right. And go, in, go into them and say, you know, well, what, what situations have you been involved in? You know, what do you think it might be? Um, and also to look at the history of the place. I, I think that, that a paranormal investigator should spend more time in a library and a hall of records than it ever should actually out in the field. Because I think whereas a, a, a haunting 
the chances of catching that are very slim. The chances of finding out that there might be something in the house lie in those places. Exactly, and, and a good trip to the library can prove. Definitely. And plus, it'll give you patterns to look for. Other, you know, that's how you build up this this uh, analysis that you do in these places. You can say, hey, you know, small things that people might not realize could be paranormally related. You know, there was a, you know, somebody choked to death, or somebody got angry and killed somebody. You know, it's, you start to see these patterns forming in these places. I was, um, I went to uh, Newburyport because someone had given me a lead on an investigation. I found the librarians there, you know, very um, welcoming to me. And I got three or four leads to other cases of things that went on because they, they're kind of like the... the and I'm not just saying this because I work at a library myself, but they're kind of the gatekeepers of the information. Well, they are. And in, in this town in particular, in Fairhaven, not only are they the gatekeepers of information, but for, you know, from the way the stories go, they're also in a haunted library as well. So a trip to the library could prove twofold <laughs> right. in this town anyway. So uh, we're, we're coming up on a news break here, folks. We're still going to take our, our regular news breaks and, and, and get all that information out to you from the mainstream media. But coming up later on, we'll also touch in the week and weird, the stories that you're not going to hear from the mainstream news media. we got some uh, some interesting stuff uh, about uh, some leprechaun sightings, uh, some UFO information, and... If you can believe this, anybody that knows us isn't going to find it hard to believe, but on Spooky South Coast, we're going to be talking about a giant cheeseburger, and not just because we're hungry. So uh, stay tuned for that story later on. We're also going to talk about some of the paranormal history of Ireland, since we just celebrated St. Patrick's Day on Friday. We're going to talk about some of the strange folklore and legend of the Emerald Isle, or as uh, the gentleman who wrote the report we're going to read tonight calls it, Eerie Land because of all the stuff that goes on. So stay tuned here with us. After the news, we'll be back for about as long as they'll let us stay on, and we want to hear from you. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And remember to jump on to SpookySouthCoast.com and check out the new message board, talk about the show live, so that we can get in touch with you and, and hear directly from you. Stay tuned. Presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg, Matt Costa, and Evan Russo. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. We're staying up late just to bring you some solid paranormal talk, and we have a caller on the line, so we're going to jump right into that. And if you'd like to give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, we have Christopher Balzano in the studio from the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website. He wants to hear all of the paranormal stories from around the New Bedford area. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Good. Uh, this is Chris Bebbin from Franklin, Mass. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. I was just calling to say what a big Chris Balzano fan I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I a big Chris Pittman fan as well. Well, that's great. <laughs> and, and we had Chris on the show, uh, our third show, where we talked about the Bridgewater Triangle. And i got to tell you, the the ratings, uh, well, not ratings, because we don't get the ratings book around here. We're not important enough. They don't share that information with us. But the, the uh, Internet response to it has been huge. It is uh, by and far our our best show in terms of downloads, in terms of podcasts, so it's something people are definitely interested in. Well, that's great. 
Now, did you get to hear last week's show at all, Chris? No, I didn't. But uh, that's great. You had Bud Hopkins on. He's a really, uh, he's a really serious guy, and that's that's a great uh, guest for you guys. That was our science advisor, Matt Moniz, hooked us up with that interview. But we did have a caller call in, uh, in the, at the start of the second hour who reported a, a UFO sighting in Middleborough from that evening. I know. Uh, you know, I'm having computer problems, but I can't wait to get that cleared up so I can download that show. Well, I'm going to try and cut that little clip out for you and email that to you at least so you can start uh, getting to work on that and finding out for that gentleman exactly what went on. That's great. That sounds great. All right. And uh, why don't you talk a little bit about your history with, with Chris Balzano? He told me some uh, interesting information about your past. Well, uh, you know, Chris and I used to work at a sandwich <laughs> shop, and uh, that's how we met. But... Uh, it's, Were you just looking at the at the sam- at the submarine sandwich one day and saying, "Gee, this looks like something I've seen in the sky before"? <laughs> That's it. Well, there was kind of a yeah, there was some paranormal uh, incidents going on at that place. Absolutely, some of the uh, coworkers that we had, I think, might actually have been some kind of undead, possibly <laughs> zombies. <laughs> As are most people in the food service industry sure. lately. Sure. Yeah, there were some ghouls, some some. Uh, Maybe some demonic individuals there, too. That's, I think that's what attracted both me and Chris to that place. I was going to say, I hope you weren't including me with the uh, demonic ghouls. That no, I definitely not. <laughs> oh, that was later on. My sister says hi, by the way. Oh, that's great. Well, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I have fond memories of my time working there, but uh, definitely, Chris, working with you was, uh, was a highlight of my time in the food service industry. Wow, I can't think of a higher compliment than that. If I can influence one person in the food service industry and have them... <laughs> But Chris, uh, Chris, I really love your website, and uh, keep up the good work. You know, your writing is really outstanding. I just thank you. Thank I, I, you. I look at a lot of websites um, in my research into this paranormal stuff, and Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads is just so—it's really uh, outstanding. Thank you very much. And, and your website is, you know, a database of information. I'm constantly, whether it's it's you know individuals or or you know someone from a, a paper that tries to contact me, I'm, I always point them in your direction because you are just on top of everything that's going on out here. Well, great. That's great. Thanks, Chris. Real quick before you go, why don't you plug your website address for all the listeners out there? Sure. It's uh, the Massachusetts UFO Resource Site. It's uh, members. dot aol. dot com slash S O C C O R R O six four, and that's my that's my UFO website. We're gonna have to work on getting you a dot com sometime <laughs> in the future. I know, I know, it's really tough, but you know, I've I've had dot coms and the websites had different addresses, and uh, you know, in the past in the past ten years, and at least this one, it's it's been the same now for the past few years. So, and of course, you can always go to my website www.masscrosswords.com, which links to Chris's. Yeah, that makes it easy. <laughs> easier to remember. <laughs> And of course, while we're having the website love fest, we always put them on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, so you can get uh, get that stuff all the time off our site. We're working on a links page, Chris, and we're, we're going to make sure that we have it up there permanently for you. Okay, great. That sounds great. All right. All right. Well, Th- talk to you guys later. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Thanks for checking in. No problem. Bye. That was uh, Chris Pittman from the Mass UFO Research Research Site, uh, a great guest we had on a few weeks ago. Somebody we'll have on in the future. And if you ever have any UFO uh, sightings or even abduction cases, encounters you want to report, log on to our website, click on our message board. There's an area there where you can report all that stuff. And I know Chris Pittman is a registered user of our site, and he'll be sure to check it out and follow up on it for you. So now, why don't we, uh, why don't we? Uh, Go to the news segment we like to call The Week in Weird. That's right. 
the Week in Weird, stories you may not have heard on the regular newscast because they're afraid to tell you, but we're not. Last week, on a dead-end street in Mobile, Alabama, it became very busy after people flocked to look at a tree where they say they saw the face of a leprechaun. The people who saw the leprechaun said you could see it better at night, so that's when the crowds really started coming out. The traffic got so heavy it caused traffic jams, but nobody's found a part of gold quite yet. If you check out the blog on our website, you can see a video of the leprechaun as reported by WKRG in Mobile, Alabama. Now, it looks a little bit... I don't know. I didn't see a leprechaun. I could understand how some people could see that in there, but to me it looked more like a lichen con because it was just a bunch of lichens on the side of a tree. But, hey, everybody sees something a little bit different, and if there's a chance that it was a, a leprechaun sitting there, I'm surprised nobody tried to catch him. So catch me a pot of gold. Matt, what do you got for us? All right, this is Danny's Beer Battle Pub in Clearville, Pennsylvania. I already had the title of World's Biggest Burger with a six-pound burger. However, they outdid themselves with a 15-pound super burger. 15 pounds? My mouth is watering. And my bowels are clenching. <laughs> uh, the beer, beer Barrel Belly Buster, which costs $30, is about the size of the inside of ring of a car tire, is the new champion. It comes with 11 pounds of beef, a cup and a half each of mayonnaise, mustard, ketchup, a whole head of lettuce, Two onions, three tomatoes, and 25 slices of cheese. Diners who finish the burger in under five five hours win a cash prize, a T-shirt, and their name posted on the Wall of Fame, and the burger is free. Now for their big burgers. Known for their big burgers, the Beer Barrel Pub also features a two-pound burger and a three-pound burger. All right, well... You know, if they want to ship one to us here at uh, the WBSM studios, we'll we'll give it a go. Although maybe uh, maybe we should make the trek down to Pennsylvania because it might take the whole ride back to digest. Don't send it COD. No, no, definitely not. I don't want to pay the shipping on that big boy. Well, over in Oslo, Norway, while we're talking about beer barrels, it seemed almost like America to Haldis Gunderson when she turned on her kitchen faucet and found the water had turned into beer. No, it wasn't a miracle. Two flights down, employees and customers at the Big Tower Bar were horrified when water poured out of their beer taps. By an improbable feat of clumsy plumbing, someone at the bar in Christiansen in western Norway had accidentally hooked the beer hoses to the water pipes for Gunderson's apartment. We had settled down for a cozy Saturday evening, had a nice dinner, and I was going to clean up a little, said Gunderson, Monday. I turned on the kitchen faucet, and beer came out. Gunderson said the beer was flat and not tempting, even in a country where a half pint can cost as much as three seventy-five in the grocery stores. However, I'm sure her husband walked over and secured his mouth firmly to the faucet. Sounds like a dream come true. It is. Fifteen-pound burgers and beer flowing from the faucets like it was water. Okay. Uh, burglars in Kazakhstan locked a funeral parlor employee in a coffin and kept him there while rummaging for cash in the shop. The employee said he was on his own at night when two masked burglars burst into the parlor and beat him until he fainted. Then they nailed him into the wooden coffin and searched for a safe. He was later freed by the driver of the, of the parlor's hearse, but not until the coffin, uh, not until after coughing up the cash. Who wrote that lamp, Jim? I don't know. <laughs> the thieves made away with 
the equivalent of $23,000 and still remain at large. So watch out for the, the coffin burglars. Well, over in London, one of their smaller museums, the British Optical Association Museum, recently experienced one unusual sight, ghosts. While in the midst of remodeling the museum, which is dedicated to the history of eye care in Ireland, uh, I'm sorry, in England, which is good because I don't think they have a dental museum, decorators saw a crouching figure of an old man last Monday, and then on Wednesday they saw a figure of a middle-aged man dressed in period attire asking, Where's Mary? I can't find Mary. This week's sightings are the first time a psychic phenomenon has been reported in the museum, although the building, which dates to the 1730s and has been home to the College of Optometrists since 1997, gave off a mysterious odor when the museum opened in the basement during 2003. Remember, you can check out the blog on SpookySouthCoast.com to see links to all these stories and pictures, including of that big 15-pound burger, too. So, Fake UFO photographs are nothing new. But how about a group that actually wants you to fake it? This month, the Center for Inquiry, Inquiry and the Tallahassee Skeptics are seeking creative photograph, photographers and computer artists who can concoct the most convincing UFO photo that uses a Tallahassee landmark or building as a backdrop. The winner will receive $250 in cash. The Fox UFO photo also will be published in the Tallahassee Democrat. The Tallahassee Center for Inquiry and the Tallahassee Skeptics are interlocking groups that seek to expose hoaxes, quackeries, and urban legends. The deadline to submit an 8x10 copy of, of this of the bogus photo by U.S. Postal Service is April 1st, a date they say they chose deliberately. And you can get an entry form at our website, www.spookysouthcoast.com. And one story we've been following here on the Week in Weird since we started this show is the new practice of inserting RFID chips in various different things to keep track of them, uh, shipping parcels and animals and even now human beings. Well, a group of European computer researchers has demonstrated that it is, it is possible to insert a software virus into radio frequency ID tags, part of a microchip-based tracking technology in growing use in commercial and security applications. In a paper that was presented today at an academic computing conference in Pisa, Italy, the researchers plan to demonstrate how it is possible to infect a tiny portion of memory in the chips that is frequently large enough to hold only 128 characters of information. It's really just tracking information, you know, a name and address, say, if your pet or your livestock needs to be returned to you. Well, until now, most computer security experts discounted the possibility of using such tags to spread a computer virus because of the tiny amount of memory, but the tracking systems, which are used now to uh, improve the accuracy and lower the cost of tracking goods, have now been infiltrated, and they think that it's only a matter of time before terrorists can figure out how to use that technology to just basically mess with everything. I mean, all of a sudden your pets don't come home, your uh, your packages don't arrive on time. That's just another way they can ruin America. So that does it for the week in weird. Remember, you can uh, drop us a line all, anytime all week. Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, Matt at SpookySouthCoast.com, on our message board. You can post up links and let us know any stories you want us to cover in the week in weird. We're going to take a quick break here, and then on the other side, we'll be back with more with Chris Balzano of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website, and we want to hear from you. 508. 508- 996-0500-508-291-0500. Be back in a few here on Spooky South Coast.
from the studios of AM 1420 WBSM into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. Well, I'll tell you who's watching you. If you're a ghost and you're somewhere in Massachusetts, Christopher Balzano is watching you as part of his website, the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads. He's still waiting to hear some of your stories. 508-996-0500. It's getting late, and it's the perfect time to share your stories and experiences. But uh, one, of, one of the things that he's done on his website, as he said before, is he's tried to accumulate as many of these stories as he can to report them all for everybody to read and to enjoy and to investigate for themselves. But there's a lot of these stories that seem to pop up a lot, and they just seem to have become basically legend and folklore throughout New England. And uh, one of these is is very close to home here in the South Coast area, and that's the red-headed hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. We've actually had some phone calls from people that have seen this red-headed hitchhiker. Why don't you talk a little bit about that legend uh, for those who might be unfamiliar? Uh, sure. Uh, first, I'd like to say that the crossroads, when I call it Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads, is that crossroad between when something beco- is a genuine haunting and when something kind of starts to fall into myth and legend, or, or in our case, usually urban legend. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, you know, that connection is, is something that the red-headed hitchhiker, you know, exudes. He seems to be the best example in Massachusetts of that. Um, the red-headed hitchhiker uh, is on Route 44. I think he, I would say he was first officially coined and presented to the general public in Charles Robinson's book, mm-hmm. uh, The New England Ghost Files. And this is a man who has been seen on um, on Route 44 in Rehoboth, near the Rehoboth uh, Seekonk line, and um, he's done kind of different things. He, he wears uh, you know, generally brown pants, brown, like almost like work clothes. Uh, he has red hair. Sometimes it's neatly trimmed. Sometimes it's uh, wild. Um, he has a red beard as well, usually seen in a, in a, in a red flannel shirt. Um, and people have seen everything from just seeing him on the side of the road to having him enter their car. Um, they've seen him outside their windows. They've run through him. Um, one of the mo- one of the more urban legendy type uh, stories that I heard said that if you have three people in a car, he'll appear in the fourth seat if you're on that stretch of the road. Um, so he's he's kind of a, r- a real interesting figure because until recently, no one's really been able to kind of figure out what um, his origin might be or where he comes from. It, it um, was it was one of those stories too that. Uh, so many people have experienced it over the years, and it it was almost like to the legend, uh, to the level of mythology. Mm-hmm. By the time it reached the internet on your website, but I mean, this is not an uncommon occurrence for people. I mean, we've had so many calls from people that have had similar sightings, not just of this person, but of similar experiences in other highways. And it's, you know, it, do, have you ever found anything, any background information on anybody? I had one person who was able to contact me who said a farmer had died. Um, on that stretch of the road while they were changing their car, um, and that uh, that that person had had red hair, and that person had worn wearing work clothes like that, and was often something like that, and that might be the origin of it. I also have a person who said someone had died, and they um, were on like Red Brook Road, and that over time the legend just kind of became that he was a redheaded hitchhiker, and it's kind of morphed into that. So mm-hmm. neither of those are confirmed. I haven't been able to find anything like that, but I mean now you have kind of. The first, uh, the first real kind of insight into what might have been 
the, the, the beginnings of this, of this ghost. And we don't know the nature of spirit activity. I mean, it could be the fact that somebody saw this person and the red hair and the red flannel shirt became so common that now the spirit reflects that, too. I mean, it could have been a different scenario years ago, and it just come to embody what it is that people almost expect to find when they go the observer creating the the myth and and the haunting themselves. And as developed as Route 44 has become toward the Plymouth end, Mm -hmm. where they've turned it into basically it looks like another highway, another freeway, by the time you get to that stretch of road where it is, and now 44 goes all the way out into Texas, I believe, but by the time you get to that stretch of 44, you're on an old old, old country road type atmosphere. And so certainly it doesn't surprise me that people see that out there. Now, uh, out there in the same area as Freetown, mm-hmm. uh, which you refer to on your site as the paranormal dumping ground yes. and will be the focus of your upcoming book, what are some of the different things you've uh, found out about Freetown and their paranormal history? Well, I think uh, Freetown has a disproportionate amount of violence that has occurred there. Um, so on one hand, which is what my book explores, you have these very real true crime stories that have their origin uh, from the forest, and then you have a rich history of paranormal occurrences there. So you kind of have these two different things that you're dealing with, and, and my book is kind of the connection between the two. Like, which, you know, uh, is the, are the killings um, a symptom of the same thing that brings about the paranormal occurrences? Are the paranormal occurrences the result of the killings that have happened there? Um, so I'm looking to kind of kind of figure out, you know, and probably there will be no solution, no answer to the question of, you know, why exactly the the, the area itself is haunted. But it'll be an exploration of it. Uh, and it's mostly uh, this this these killings that you're talking about. For those unfamiliar, it's in the Freetown State Forest. There's Freetown a lot of cult activity, a lot of uh, what appears to be satanic and uh, animal ritualistic murder. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the uh, detectives that I spoke to about this, who's kind of been you know, my guide through this, through this journey, has um, said that you know, he's, he's, on one hand, he's very much into the other side of things. He's actually, <clears throat> excuse me, a hypnotherapist now. Um, but Speaking of detective elves. Yes. Yes. Um, but he'll, he'll be very straightforward and say, no, it has nothing to do with ghosts. It has everything to do with the fact that you're an hour away from, you know, all of these major metropolitan areas. People do crime somewhere else. They dump them in the forest, and mm-hmm. that's how, it, you know, these things got kind of landed in my lap. Um, I don't necessarily think that's that's the whole answer, because why would these um, these Satanists, these different kind of levels and groups of Satanists, be attracted to this forest? There are other there are areas. Other, yeah, in, other in, forests in the, on the way. Right, right. So... I think that, you know, the the killings that have happened there and the Satanists are very much connected to each other as well. I think that they're attracted by the same thing. They kind of give off the energy. It's kind of cycling through, and playing itself out. It, and if you think about, too, some of the things that have happened in the past in this area, on, on 195 you've had a lot of... Uh, you know, there was the slangs a few years back, and this area seems to draw that type mm-hmm. of energy. So maybe it's whatever signals are being sent out from there is pulling people from these metropolitan areas to come in here and saying, hey, you know, this is the place where you want to right, do Right, they're that. attracted to it. But anybody that's seen the episode of The Sopranos where they go out into the Pine Barrens, when I saw that episode, they're going out there to dump a body. And the first thing I thought of when I saw that was the Freetown State Forest because it's, you know, the same type of uh, situation. And it is pretty amazing when you go out there, you know, I... I I work in Boston, and I've lived in Boston for years, and I'm outside of Boston now, to be like, how can this be so close and yet be absolutely desolate? I mean, we are in the middle of nowhere, and you're, you're, you're jumpy just being out there. Exactly. So you can imagine how tempting that would be for a criminal element, and if you have that, that, have that added thing of there's something attracting you to it, some kind of energy that you can't explain. And then once you commit that violent act, 
you're kind of feeding into the energy, so the energy is getting stronger itself and kind of then pushing it back out. Exactly. So. And one thing we want to we want to take a, a second here to mention is that the Freetown State Forest is uh, very disorienting. It's, uh, it, it's, it's almost like it's in its own vortex. So if you're going to go out there and check it out, try to make sure that you do so in the daytime and with somebody that's familiar with the area. I know a lot of people might be hearing us talk about it right now and think it'll be a fun, you know, it'll be a gas to jump in the car and go check it out, but not highly recommended at this time of night. I remember that uh, Detective Valls had said that um, when he joined the force and then when people would join the force, at f- force after him, that uh, one of the funniest things was just to kind of put the new person out into the forest and just wait around for them to say, I am completely lost. I'm on a road in the forest, and I don't know where I'm going. You need to, you need, someone needs to get me out or give me directions. Or, or, and that used to be kind of like your initiation into the police force. Well, uh, and, and So that's a trained professional in a car on the road, and they can't find. And it'd be even worse out. if they were out there and they actually encountered something right, while right. they were out there as well. And, and what's in the forest is not, you know, we've talked about these kind of, you know, uh, true crimes. But there's also been a ton of uh, paranormal sightings, ghost sightings. Um, one of the interesting things is I've gotten five or six reports of zombie-like creatures that are in there, as well as these little uh, Native American uh, spirits. Well, that's very strange so. because uh, I haven't heard those reports myself, and I'd be very interested in finding out more about that. i got a question for you. Have yes. you heard about the Lady of the Ledge? Um, I've never heard of a lady attached to it, so I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about that. Uh, I I know the ledge very well, and I've collected some stories about that, but I've never heard of the lady of the ledge. All right. The ledge, as you know, is this big precipice Mm -hmm. that's about, what, I'd say a couple hundred feet high, and it goes straight down to the water. Uh, My first introduction to it was uh, about seven or eight years ago now. Uh, My then-wife and I were out there with a couple of friends. We were headed out there. It was middle of the night, and uh, we went to say, okay, let's go check this thing out. And we went out there, and there was this woman that we could plainly see standing by the edge. And as you know, if you've been out there, there's only one way out there and one way back. Well, two if you're... (laughs) But uh, we're walking out there, and as we're taking our cooler and whatever, you know, blankets, materials, to, you know, because this is a cool spot to just hang out there. We turned around, and she wasn't there anymore. And we later found out that the woman had committed suicide by leaping off the uh, precipice there and that she's occasionally seen there at that spot. I'd be interested to know um, at what point that had happened because there are reports um, that people go there with a completely clear conscious clear state of mind they're going there to have a picnic it's a beautiful place to be and they're overwhelmed uh with the feeling to jump themselves and that's i've gotten that report from several different people um there's actually uh, a few other suicides that occurred at the ledge and a new bedford police uh, officer also killed himself in his car uh, at the ledge as well. And that's not an uncommon uh, feeling to have at places such as that where there have been suicides. There's a, mm-hmm. a similar ledge type in Middleborough where uh, a lot of Indians are said to, uh, I'm sorry, Native Americans were said to have plummeted to their deaths in King Philip's War and that you can still see some of them uh, out on that out on that hill but it's, you know, like a sharp drop uh, uh, like you're talking about. And uh, I believe it was Chris Pittman we had here in the studio that was talking about. He was there, and he had that same type of feeling telling him, you know, jump, jump. So it's, it's, and it's something that you hear in, in just all kinds of similar uh, 
what's uh, David Caruso said when he was um, shooting Session Nine in Danvers, he had this, the same thing, and he he hated doing the scenes on the on the roof because when he would get up there, he would have this overwhelming feeling like a, and a voice telling him to jump, jump. Mm-hmm. And I also actually have um, from the ledge a report of a person who went up there. The same thing; they were at the bottom of the ledge, and um, they watched several Native American people. Um, they would appear in one place, disappear, appear in another place, disappear, appear in another place, disappear. And he tracked him them for about 15 minutes, kind of making their way down to where these people were. They got into their truck, went up, because there's only one way in, one way out, and they were not able to find anything. So I, th- I think, you know, there's a, there's a connection there between, you know, once again, the past and the present. Well, we want to hear from you out there. Maybe you've been in the Freetown State Forest. You've experienced similar feelings. Maybe you've experienced other uh, paranormal activity elsewhere. Give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We'd love to hear about it. And uh, one of the things that you did in an investigation of, which we're very interested in, we're going to talk about in a future edition of the show, is you went to the Lizzie Borden house. Yes, I did. And actually took part in a seance with uh, Jackie Barrett, the psychic. Yes. And what, what kind of uh, occurrences did you have happen during that seance? It was very... Um it was hard to kind of look at it scientifically because the there were so many people in there. It wasn't your typical seance. Um, people weren't holding hands. There were not only people in the circle, but people outside the circle. There were so many people, the doors were open. So you kind of have to, I kind of had to dismiss anything that was, you know, a shadow or a um, or any weird lights or, or lights flickering because basically we were, you know, streaming out into the kitchen. Mm-hmm. The odd thing that happened was is that Jackie, when Jackie does a seance, she doesn't necessarily have the spirit speak through her. She often says, "Who's willing to, who's willing to channel this spirit?" And then someone steps forward, and and she kind of allows that and acts as a mediator. Which is an impressive approach for a psychic to take. Not only because it really eliminates the aspect of trying to say that she is a fraud and she's right. the one putting it on, but it also you have to have strong psychic powers to be able to do that. Right, right, and she and she also has her daughter with her who who helps her with that and assists her with that and kind of also is a very strong psychic presence and and she actually has the attitude of like hey let's open the door and see what happens Mm -hmm. which is you know a lot of psychics um want to kind of contain that as well and i i feel if to some degree if you're doing that you're kind of almost uh forcing the the spirit to manifest itself the way you want yeah to play by your rules right right um, and it was very interesting, a woman, I had interviewed her before. Um, I went down there for Haunted Times. They asked me to go and cover it. Um, I went, you know, I, I interviewed this woman ahead of time. She was uh, an older woman, um, and I say that only because she had very clear lines to her face. Her face had character. I guess it was my nice way of saying she looked kind of old. She was kind of mm-hmm. wrinkly. Um, and during the course of the, the seance, um, when, the, when Bridget, who was the housekeeper um, for the Borden family, supposedly entered her, her face physically changes. So actually, if you go to my website, you can see a kind of before picture and an after picture. Mm-hmm. And you can, it does not look like the same person. So in addition to the energy in the room completely changing, uh, odd things happening, one woman got sick, several other people had broke out in rashes afterwards. You have this very, she didn't say anything. She wouldn't write anything. She just was, she actually, I remember shooting saying, this woman's going to jump. This woman's going to, like, just hit someone. She had that much kind of anger and violence on her, but her face completely changes. She is not that the same woman. She has no memory of what happened. I interviewed her afterwards. No memory of what happened, and her her, her entire demeanor and her physical face actually changed. And it's interesting. No, like, uh, um, uh, you know, straight, like smooth skin. Like, the lines of her face were completely gone. 
It's, it's interesting that you uh, were able to channel the spirit of Bridget because I think in the whole mystery that surrounds the Lizzie Borden case, she might be key in trying to figure it out because there's so many different theories as to why you know, Lizzie Borden allegedly uh, took an axe to her parents. And one of the theories is that you know, she was having uh, some sort of improper relationship with another woman and that Bridget was the one to discover it. Uh, some other people think that there was a, a, a relationship with the father uh, that was inappropriate and that she was on to it. So, I mean, I think that's kind of the key, and that's also the person that's overlooked in this whole thing. Everybody focuses more on, on Andrew Borden than anything else. And what Jackie came away with was that the exact opposite, that Bridget was defending her. Really? And that Bridget was protecting her and that either she had killed them to protect Lizzie Borden, which might go into the inappropriate relationships theory, or that she had helped her cover it up afterwards. She and, helped her cover up afterwards. She didn't do that great of a job because obviously it... Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> if you look at what it's become in the years since, and it's it's really become uh, a cottage industry for Fall River, right. but it's, it's a case that's very accessible to people around here, and the people that now own the house and run the Lizzie Borden you know, bed and breakfast out of it, they're more than happy to discuss the case with anybody that wants to stay there and, and experience it. And uh, I, I know that you know they're, they always have people coming in to, to investigate it and to try to prove anything. And, and they had uh, TAPS mm-hmm. come in and investigate it for the show Ghost Hunters. And they came away with a feeling that there was something going on, but no hard evidence. So, But they also skirt the psychic route, too. They don't like to use psychics, which, you know, everybody has their own their own right. uh, ways of investigating the paranormal. You do something that a lot of people won't do, and that's you use a Ouija board, which most people will, you know, try to stay as far yeah, away I from. I've used that in years, though. I've kind of, uh, in our early days of investigation, it's kind of, I, I compare it to a, to a drug or a bad drug, especially, um, and I think that it is a very quick fix for the paranormal, mm-hmm. um, but, in, but with that, it's also very dangerous. As I've learned more, I've kind of forsaken the Ouija board, and I don't use it as much anymore, if at all. Good. Glad to hear that, because <laughs> I've never touched one in my life, nor will I. No, I mean, it's, it's you know, a great, exhilarating feeling, and then you look up, and three hours have gone by. Mm-hmm. And you haven't gotten anything that you can use or anything that, that, that means anything. And if you actually can get a spirit on there, and, you know, obviously there's a debate of whether you can actually get a, a ghost on a Ouija board, um, they always seem to give you just enough to keep you there. So that kind of tells me that there's some kind of, um, you know, uh, parasite relationship going on, and you're not getting anything out of it yourself. But they seem to be using your energy. And, and there, there's, it's just a, a bad door to open because there's so much that can go wrong. Just because you're talking to a spirit doesn't mean you're talking to the spirit you're talking to. It could be any number right. of other entities that are trying to to keep you and and as you said, suck your energy. That's what that's what you're using that for on their side of it. They're waiting for you to do that so they can draw your energy in. We have a friend, Matt. Matt Costa and I have a friend who is very much into the Ouija board using that as an investigative tool. And he came at me with a report where he was out in a cemetery and he got a report from one of the uh, people that were buried there saying, um, I forget what he said. He said that his, initial, his initials were, what, JT or something or, 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 or JST or something were his initials. And that he said that his occupation was jutting, J-U-T-T-I-N-G, and that it's some, you know, occupation that we don't practice anymore and he said that this is what was going on this was the spirit he was talking to and after going home and thinking about it and, and really thinking about what he gave us jst were the initials he got judding was the occupation the person who was telling us this his name was justin 
So this was coming from his own brain somewhere, most likely. And the minute you start opening doors in your own brain that you're not ready to open, you know, you're, uh, I mean, it's Mac in a test. I mean, he's off his rocker. He is. <laughs> and, <laughs> but in a good way. And you find those connections. I mean, if you just, um, you know, I often tell people to look for science if they want to kind of advice on where to go. And, and if something, you know, seems to repeat itself in your life to kind of go with it. Well, you can manipulate information any way you'd like to manipulate it. And then when, you, when you think that something meaningful is going to come from, from a Ouija board, you'll start connecting things that absolutely have no connection whatsoever. Exactly. Uh, although, and- although the reverse of that is we got some really insane confirmable things on the Ouija board as well that freaked us out. So we've also kind of had that side of it. So, I mean, either either way, it's... There's the good and bad points of it, but it's just it's the the bad outweighs the good in my, in my if, view. And if you've ever seen, usually people go through Ouija board cycles where they do it for three or four days in a row, where a week a week in a row, then they stop doing it, they go back into a cycle. And if you've seen people on that third day of a Ouija board cycle, they they look like drug addicts. And when they you know, when they've if, caught when they think they've caught something, they don't mm-hmm. want to let it go. Right. And all you're basically doing is allowing whatever it is to control you. Right. And and you don't know what that is. That's the most important thing. Now, one of the other things that uh, that you talk about on your site is a longtime legend in this area. That's the Dover Demon, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why don't you explain to people exactly what that is? Uh, the Dover Demon, I guess, would fall more into the area of zip, uh, cryptozoology. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 1970s, late 70s, I think it was 77, um, there was this being spotted in several different places in Dover. Um, and its description, I guess, is best as it almost looks like a cross between some kind of animal and your classic gray alien. Um, and this was seen by several different places. Happens to be Lawrence, uh, Lauren Coleman was uh, working as a reporter in the area, picked it up, and it just has kind of blown up since then. It's become one of the, the real paranormal staples of, of Massachusetts. And I recently um, did an interview with, with uh, Lauren Coleman about it, and... He's kind of he's such a busy person that he's like, please write me the questions. What I get to him, I'll email him back. And I wanted to kind of get you know like what the update is of it. So I'm kind of still waiting for that, and I'll update you on that. But well, we're, we're trying to get him for the show as well. I mean, I got a I got a friend up in the woods in Maine that says that he can find him in the woods for me. So whatever you can do to get him, please. You know, and, and I think that you know for a lot of us, especially in this area, we owe a lot to him mm-hmm. because not only did he kind of make a lot of this mainstream and do a lot of reporting, he's the man who coined the phrase the Bridgewater Triangle. So that's kind of you know. That, that kind of has brought attention to this and allowed a lot of these things to surface. And then he was right. There is something going on. <laughs> I had a question. The um, Dover Demon, mm-hmm. it's also related to the Hopkinton Goblin. I've never heard of the Hopkinton Goblin. Uh, same image that, that they're talking about, a particular mm-hmm. case where the creature was uh, climbing over stone walls, seen by a kid. There's a police report of it. A lot of I saw I believe I saw it on your website the drawing mm-hmm. uh, that drawing also is the same drawing I think that comes from the Hopkinson case really yes I, I got a it was re- very similar to it I got a report from I'm trying to think it's it's, it's it was either Framingham or near Framingham and they had a similar report of, of the same type of creature so whereas kind of in, in the in the, the lore of the Dover demon he was a one time you know this one little cycle of, of things that happened. There are other reports out there that are very similar, and they seem to, to not be connected. No one's really kind of put them all together and kind of kind of put something forth that it might be something that's that's longer than, than just a, that one week that things happened. Well, it's, it's very possible, too, that it could have been the Dover Demon getting ready to run the Boston Marathon, too. <laughs> so uh, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, when we come back, we'll... 
talk a little bit more with uh, Chris Balzano about the paranormal uh, before we hit the 12 o'clock news break. And then we're going to try, as long as none of the higher-ups call us up and tell us to get off the air, we're going to try and stay on the air till uh, 12.30. Even if I'm the only one in the studio talking to myself, we'll try and go till 12.30 because we want to give you your full two hours of spooky South Coast. We'll be right back in just a moment. Don't look now, but spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Who said I see walking in these woods? Why, it's Little Red Riding Hood. Hey there, Little Red Riding Hood. You sure are looking good. You're everything a big bad wolf could want. I'm not as good as uh, the werewolf guru who we had in the studio a few weeks ago. Don't forget uh, Penny Dreadful Shilling Shockers on 10 to midnight every Saturday night on New Bedford Channel 95. Turning on some classic horror movies for you. Remember, when you watch them, turn the sound down, listen to us. Don't want you uh, abandoning spooky South Coast. But now we're going to talk to you about, we had St. Patrick's Day, uh, just the other day, yesterday, I think. I don't know. It was a long St. Patrick's Day for me celebrating uh, with a friend who turned 21. Let's say happy birthday to, to ironically named Patrick. Matt, you want to say happy birthday to him, too? Hey, Pat. All right, there you go. And uh, we are talking about some of the Irish folklore and legends. There's a lot of paranormal history in Ireland. Uh, of course, the biggest story that always comes out of Ireland uh, is the leprechaun. Everybody likes to tell the story about catching the leprechaun, and if you can catch him, he has to give you his pot of gold. One of the more interesting things that I didn't know about the uh, leprechaun story until I researched it for this uh, segment was that it said by using the power of a certain herb, the leprechauns know how to find all the crocs of gold that are hidden all over Ireland. But nobody has ever been able to persuade any of them to reveal the name of the herb. Now, what I'd be more interested in finding out is why are there all these crocs of gold laying all over Ireland? You know, why don't you ask the person that put them out there? But, yeah, whatever. And uh, one of the other famous stories out of Ireland is the Banshee, which I'm not going to even read the Gaelic names for some of these words. But uh, the Banshee is Irish for a fairy woman. Her sharp cries and wails are also called keening. The English word keen is from the Irish you know, Gaelic word, meaning lament. Now, there is no harm or evil in the appearance of a banshee unless she is seen in the act of crying, and this is a fatal sign. The wail of a banshee pierces the night, and it notes the rising and falling like the waves of the sea. It always announces a mortal's impending demise. She is a solitary woman fairy, mourning and forewarning those only of the best families in Ireland, those with the most ancient Celtic lineages, those whose names begin with Mac or Mick or O whose origins date from the time of the Irish heroes. The Banshee loves the old mortal families with a fierce and unearthly caring. So uh, if you ever do see a Banshee, it's, uh, it's, it's only bad news if she's crying or shrieking. Uh, some of the other paranormal aspects of Ireland, which comes from our friends at X Project Magazine, x-projectmagazine.com. This was written in March 2000 by Davy Russell. And he updates uh, the, the Internet audience on some of the other folklore of Ireland, which he calls Eerie Land. 
uh, fairies. Fairies uh, folklore is widespread throughout Ireland. Uh, in Unexplained Mysteries of the 20th Century by Janet and Colin Bohr, there's an account of a schoolboy named John Keeley who claimed to have seen fairies one day in 1938 while walking home. Although his story was met with skepticism, a group of men hid as they watched John communicate with fairies that were two feet tall with beards and no ears. Then the men chased the fairies away. Also, there's a lot of religion, religious phenomenon in Ireland. Bleeding statues have been cited numerous times among Catholics in Ireland. They are some of the most devout people uh, in Christianity. However, the most fascinating accounts of statues of the Virgin Mary and Jesus Christ occurred in the summer and fall of 1985 throughout Ireland. Numerous churches reported statues coming to life and moving around. On August 16th of 1985, startled churchgoers in Melloray received messages from a statue of the Virgin Mary that miraculously came to life. And, of course, uh, the ghosts of Ireland do more than make occasional appearances or move things around. They also sing. In 1977, numerous people in Monkstown, Dublin, heard a man's voice singing songs such as Danny Boy and Old Man River in the middle of the night. And, of course, there's a lot of old castles out in Ireland that have long, long paranormal haunted histories. Uh, there also are a lot of lake monsters in Ireland. Many lakes in Ireland are haunted by these mysterious serpentine creatures, uh, not unlike the Loch Ness Monster in nearby Scotland. A few of these lakes include Loch Aderiff, Waskell, Abisdeely, Ona, Dub, Fada, Mask, Nahuin. I don't know why I started reading these. Well, basically a whole bunch of lakes over there in Ireland have been associated with this. And uh, if you check out our website, we have a link to some stuff, and, and you can see where some of these places are. On February 22nd of 1968, seven members of the Coyne family living in Ireland watched a strange creature in nearby Loaf Nahoon, which is uh, Gaelic for Lake Nahoon. It was about four meters long, had two humps on its back, and what appeared to be horns on its head. It also had a long neck and slick black skin. Attracted by the commotion on the shore, the creature swam toward the startled witnesses with its mouth opened, then turned and continued swimming aimlessly. The coins watched the thing until nightfall and never knew what it was, and never thought to snap a picture. Another strange creature of the Irish lakes is the Dobar Chu of Loaf Mask. Also called the Dobarku or Duragu, this waterhound has been reported to attack people. It is described as sort of looking similar to a large otter, white in color with black ear tips and black across the back. It is said by some to look like half wolf dog, half fish. And uh, Matt Moniz would like to tell us a little bit about Irish giants. All right. Uh, there's a story that comes from uh, Ireland off the East Coast. A set of basaltic lava flows created a causeway, or what looks like a set of steps and or pier that goes out into the water heading towards England. Now, legend goes that it was a bridge that was being built by an Irish giant to do battle with a giant from Scotland. Now, legend has it that the bridge was built by these two, one on one side, one on the other. The Irish giant, fearing the Scottish giant, hid inside his house and dressed himself up as an infant in, in his home. His wife answered the door when the Scottish giant arrived. The wife informed him that the Irish giant wasn't around, that she was there just to look after the infant. The Scottish giant, seeing the size of the alleged infant, 
decided it was not a good idea to hang out in Ireland and proceeded back home and tore the bridge down behind him, and that's one of the Irish giant legends. And it's uh, it's interesting, the amount of folklore and legends they have. It's it's almost like Roman and Greek in its history that they, they try to create these mythological reasons to explain why their country is the way that it is. And I think one of the interesting things which fits in with something that I was working on with the red-headed hitchhiker is that uh, so many of the Irish legends have to do with roads mm-hmm. or uh, some kind of journey, oftentimes some kind of spirit or a, a you know a, a fairy type figure takes someone along the road or takes them you know flying along a certain path to kind of experience whatever their adventure might be and so there's a very tight connection between Irish folklore and roads and going with the uh, little red riding hood intro there <laughs> um, people going off the road and encountering you know uh, the the darker side of leprechauns and other fairies and and, and, and monsters that are just off the road if you if you stray from the path. And it's it's similar to what we were talking about, where if this area has a depressed history and we have a lot of paranormal activity, so is Ireland with all the tragedy that's happened over there over the course of the last couple centuries. Right, and one of the, one of the interesting things um, is that when you, when you go into a certain place, you know, say you go into a South Boston, well, you would imagine that the culture and the folklore that arises and the ha- nature of the hauntings that arise in that area are very much linked to the Irish that immigrated there. The news music to let us know that we have to wrap it up. So, Matt, you're going to make one point before we cut to the news? Yeah. In the uh, Irish area along the roads, the stones that they use for segregating out the fields were also used for the same reasons that they used them in the churches. There's a spiritual meaning to the to the stones they use in the walls and the roads. All right. Well, we'll be back in about six minutes with the final half hour of Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. We want to hear from you. Stay tuned. Tim Weisberg, Matt Pasta, and Evan Russo. And welcome back to Spooky South Coast. We're up a little bit past our bedtime tonight. Due to the college basketball tournament, we've decided to give you an extra half an hour. There may be some people out there, Matt, that don't usually listen to Spooky South Coast because they they get out of work later, they wake up at midnight, and they haven't heard us yet. This might be their first chance. What do you mean? Who doesn't listen listen to Spooky South Coast? Well, I mean, there are some people that keep strange hours, and uh, I know that uh, they're the people that are really interested in the paranormal because they experience way more of it than the rest of us that are awake during waking hours do. Not buying it. Not, Not buying it. <laughs> well, we'd like to hear from you in this final half an hour 
hour, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Let's make it really spooky for the last uh, 23 minutes or so that we're going to be in the studio. And, of course, uh, I'm Tim Weisberg. Matt Costa is here with me every week manning the controls. He's, we like to refer to him as the crypt keeper of spooky South Coast because he makes sure everything keeps going smoothly. We also have our science advisor, Matt Moniz, is along for the ride, and our special guest tonight, Christopher Balzano of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads. And you can check out links to all the things we talk about here on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. We have the blog up there where we plug our guests uh, all week long. You can see who's going to be the guest for next week's show. We'll give you a little bit of a heads up now. It's going to be a member of the Atlantic Paranormal Society. Somebody from TAPS, from the television show Ghost Hunters, a familiar female face from the show Ghost Hunters, will be joining us next week to talk about ghost hunting in New England, as well as the upcoming season of Ghost Hunters, which is technically the third season, because they've, you know, it's the third group of shows they've had, but they're referring to it for some reason as the back nine of season two. So we'll talk to her about that, and if you haven't figured it out, it's, it's Kristen Gartland from TAPS. She'll be joining us next week. Uh, but right now we want to tell you about a seminar coming up on April 8th. The, last week we had Bud Hopkins, who's the director of the Intruders Foundation and the world's foremost authority on UFO abductions and UFO encounters. Well, they're putting on, uh, his group, the Intruders Foundation, is putting on a seminar on April 8th where they're going to welcome Dr. Roger Lear, that's L-E-I-R. They're going to be talking about UFO abductions and alien implants. Uh, and Dr. Lear is an accomplished... Uh, I don't want to say podiatric surgeon. Well, he deals in podiatry, which is the surgery of the foot. Uh, But he's also an investigator and author of four books concerning the subject of alien implants, including The Aliens and the Scalpel. And on Saturday evening, April 8th, he'll present an overview of his fascinating work, The Collection of Scientific and Medical Evidence Pertaining to Alien Abduction Phenomenon. So they're going to have this uh, very in-depth presentation with a multimedia evidence of the existence of these aliens. Now, if you want to register for this seminar, the event is $30 for non-members and $20 for members of the Intruders Foundation, seniors or students. Reservations must be made by telephone at 212-645-5278, and they'll be filled on a first-come, first-served basis. Payments must be made in advance to secure reservations. You can also make checks payable to the Intruders Foundation, P.O. Box 30233, New York, New York, 10011. Now, there's only 60 reservations that are going to be accepted, so make sure you get your reservation in early. The event will begin at 7.30 p.m. and end at 10 p.m. Doors will open at 7 p.m. There will be a one-half-hour intermission during which light complimentary refreshments will be served, and there will also be a book table to offer books, videotapes, and other material for sale for those interested. Again, 212-645-5278. You can email us, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, Matt at SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll make sure we get this information out to you if you need it. So a very interesting evening where you can learn a little bit more about the UFO phenomenon. Of course, in this area, we are no strangers to the UFO phenomenon, as well as plenty of other paranormal phenomenon. We'd like to hear from you, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And let's welcome back in Christopher Balzano. Chris, uh, as, as uh, we talked about earlier, some of the different ghostly apparitions people have seen, some of these supposed demons and cryptozoological creatures, UFO sightings are another big thing that... And, and, 
whether it's that this area is a thin veil into some other plane of existence or whether they really are visiting this area, there's no denying there's been some sort of visitation around here. You know, and, and people that um, are generally pretty straight-edge people, people that don't believe in ghosts, will still approach me with a, a UFO sighting or something that they've had. So it's so there's definitely a connection between the two, I feel, and definitely you know those that aren't willing to accept certain things are willing to accept that and come forward with that. One of the strange uh, things that I've heard, and, and we talked about it last week with Bud Hopkins, we talked about whether or not some of this other activity is you know paranormal activity, folklore mythology, whether or not it's related to alien visitations. But one of the things I found this week, looking into the subject matter a little bit more, is there's a theory out there, and I don't know how well supported it is, that the reason why aliens are visiting this planet isn't necessarily because of human beings and what human beings can do, but because of the paranormal aspect of of the planet Earth. I would imagine that, and I'm, and I'm not, I don't do that much work into UFO research, mm-hmm. but I would imagine that if um, there has to be some kind of energy trace of this thing happening. So if you're looking down on the Earth, I would imagine that would look a lot like a light bright, and that those kind of, that kind of energy that, that is generated by uh, the paranormal or the same kind of energy the paranormal uses would be seen by something, and it's probably a, a stronger beacon then it's kind of like the same thing with the Ouija board. You might mm-hmm. get anyone because exactly. all of a sudden you just kind of light up and they, they're attracted to that. The same theory might work with aliens. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting theory because there is uh, so many places where, you know, this type of activity is reported and, you know, it seems to be like wherever there's ghosts or there's aliens. And also, we've talked about in the past, wherever there's these ritualistic murders, mm-hmm. there's always the appearance of UFOs or the sightings of UFOs. So they could also be tied in together. I mean, some of these cults could be very well worshipping whatever it is that's coming down to visit us on Earth. And, and it can be, like you said before, the, the nature of the, of the observer. Um, some people might be more willing to accept a UFO or something in their psyche is more attracted to that. So they see the same kind of occurrence, but they see it as an alien, whereas someone else might see it as a, a Native American you know, fire in the woods. Mm-hmm. So. And, and Chris Pittman, who uh, you know, talked about both aspects, uh, both the haunting of ghosts and the uh, appearance of UFOs and aliens, he suggested that what there is is there's some greater intelligence that we're not familiar with that is, and when I say intelligence, I don't mean, you know, like the CIA intelligence. I'm talking like a, a greater plane of existence, a greater sense of knowing that is controlling mankind through these sightings. Uh, and I would also say that um, I'm a believer in certain societies on this planet. I think a lot of it driven behind the the true Satanists that are in this country and throughout the world that might have the ability to communicate with that and therefore may also be using certain ritual areas as landing grounds. I mean, wouldn't it be strange if it was just all tied in together? All of this stuff was just tied into one central cause that we have yet to find. And the, the connection is our ignorance to it yeah, <laughs> and exactly. our inability to understand it at this point. Well, I, I think uh, hopefully what we try to do with this program is we try to bring more of an awareness to this. We want you to think of the, you know, the incident you might have had in your youth, uh, that one time where you couldn't quite explain something that happened. We want people to come together. These, quote-unquote, if you want to you know, get into the movie aspect of it, these you know, glitches in the matrix, things that people don't understand why they happen. We want to bring them all together because if, if you can take all these isolated incidents and as you've done on your website, start stringing them all together, then you start to figure out a little bit more what it's all about. And uh, I recently was contacted by a woman who currently is in Kuwait but who had lived in Massachusetts, and um, she had had this incident, and she kind of wanted to explain it, and she you know, kind of began it by, I do not believe in ghosts. I'm like, okay, well, then I don't understand why you're contacting me, anything <laughs> I give. 
uh, you was not going to be accepted. I kind of, you know, emailed her a few times, and all of a sudden she was starting to stream things that had happened when she was a child, when she was in her teenage years. And what I explained to her was that these were all things that have happened throughout your life. You're very sensitive to this, and you've denied it for so long that every once in a while, that glitch in the matrix... You get a glimpse into what you could be observing all the time. And, and that's the sad thing is that so many people are quick to dismiss what goes on because, you know, we're taught from a young age, you know, ghosts don't exist, aliens don't exist. And we're taught this t- by our parents and by our, you know, the elders of our, of our lives as a way to calm our fears. They're not telling you this because it isn't true. They're telling you this because they don't want you laying in bed at night worrying about something coming and grabbing you in your sleep. And the oddest thing is the people that are most um, peaceful in their mindset are religions that have a tight connection with the spiritual world. Exactly. And, And when you think about it, I mean, young children, animals, these people that don't have these mental blocks are the people that experience this. And, you know, very rarely do they have negative impacts as a result of it. I mean, there are the poltergeist case and different things where, you know, once in a while it is centered around a child. But for the most part, you can see a child babbling away all day to something in the corner that isn't there. And he's happy about it. He can't wait to go back and talk some more. And there's nothing negative around that. It's just a, a better understanding of what the world is that we lose as we bring in more skepticism. I, I recently, um, my, my son is nine months old, so I, you know, I just recently had a baby, and everyone that I was related to went, oh, God, you're going to be the one parent that's going to say, there's something under your bed? Well, let's bring equipment out. Let's make sure it is. So I think that's, <laughs> that's, my, my son is uh, just about 22 months, and we're going through the same type of thing where, you know, now that he started babbling to himself in his crib at night, I start poking my head in to see who he's talking to, and, you know, my wife looks at me and she's like, do not call capers. <laughs> Whatever you're going to do, don't call capers. It's not anything to investigate. But, you know, we don't know what it is. Right. It's because once we turn that block on, it's so hard to get it out again. And it's so hard to have people um, break that block down as they get older. Mm -hmm. I had one woman who contacted me who um, her first question is, does this mean I'm going to hell? She wanted to know she was she was deeply religious. She was um, Roman Catholic. And she thought that this was a sign that God was mad at her. And so when you're dealing with that kind of block and with that kind of, you know, programming that... If something like this happens to you, you're, you're chosen for a negative reason. Mm-hmm. It's tough to get information out because people will not, will not only not experience things, they'll deny the things they do experience. And, and one thing that I've found uh, that I'm starting to believe more and more is we've talked to people like John Zaffis, who for over 30 years has been dealing with demonic possession. And you don't really hear these demons that are coming forth saying, you know, we're responsible for ghosts, we're responsible for UFO sightings. And I almost think that maybe people that are worried about the religious connotations of having these experiences, I think it's kind of out of the realm of religion almost. I think this is something that's earth, earthbound, that's ethereal, that's something on this planet that has to do with, you know, the chemical makeup of this planet or magnetism or whatever it is that's causing it, that it's it's not quite into the reach of the heavens. It's a little bit, you know, under their control. It's not it's not really something that they're having controlling hand in. Well, anytime you want to talk about ghosts, people automatically connect it with their own mortality and the best comfort for your mort- your your mortality is religion. Right. So the things become connected because you know, they're, they're taught for so long, too, because, you know, you want to know that you're going to be safe after you die. I mean, if grandma comes back and visits you, you know, six months after she's passed on, the first question everybody wants to ask is, what's heaven like? Right. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if grandma's coming back and talking to you, she hasn't quite made it there yet for whatever reason. So she might not be, or maybe she has been and decided to come back. I so think she's got something important to tell you if she comes back. I think you may, it's more important to listen to that than to necessarily wonder why. Exactly. What heaven looks like. I mean, and it's because I, I firmly believe if there is one, it's going to be different to everybody. Mm-hmm. So whatever they're telling you, you, you you're not going to experience that yourself necessarily. 
Now, uh, one of the things that when we talk about religion and related to the paranormal is uh, a lot of people are told that, you know, beyond believing some of these things are against God, they're also told that they're against, you know, accepted society. So you said the first question you get from some people is, am I going to hell? I'm sure another first question you get from a lot of people is, am I going crazy? Right, right. That's that's the, I'm trying to think of uh, someone who contacted me, and that's the first thing that they said. And I, to which I responded, you might very well be crazy. Yeah. But yeah. what you're experiencing is not necessarily crazy. And that, that person, you know, kind of um, was a very tortured person and, and, and was coming at me with a very, like, you know, he basically was living the life of the sixth sense. And he thought he was, you know, a part of him was saying, I'm going crazy. This isn't, and I'm, you know, no, you're not. You just need to understand what's happening. Yeah, that does, I mean, it doesn't mean, in some cases, yes, it could be some sort of mental illness. And right. if you're having these experiences, by all means, you know, talk to somebody in the mental health field and find out and make sure that that aspect isn't. But, you know, I just watched a movie recently that we had been discussing on the show that I had never seen, but it had come up quite a few times, called The Entity from 1983, and it's about a woman who is raped and disturbed by this spirit, and she goes to a psychiatrist or, or, or a psychologist for treatment for this, and the first diagnosis he makes is, it's all in your head, you're going crazy. Right. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people that will immediately shut down any possibility of the paranormal, so anything you find out from these doctors, you have to take with a grain of salt. And uh, going back to Jackie Barrett, that's the one thing that she really kind of hit home with me was, because she's done a lot of work in asylums, she said, you know those people talking to themselves? They're not always talking to themselves. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's just... Kind of it's a nice little way to easily diagnose us and to come up with yep. a treatment plan and to store somebody off in a corner. But like you said, they could be something very important in what it is that they're trying to communicate. Right. So, you know, that's, I mean, unfortunately, that's today's society. Is it's, everybody's quick to medicate. Everybody's quick to diagnose. And by doing that, you eliminate, you know, any kind of discovery that can be made. I think the field of psychology and psychiatry has really hurt the paranormal not because the paranormal is wrong, but just because, you know, if you can give somebody something that keeps them from seeing the alleged things that they're seeing, it keeps them from being able to see the things that they really could be connecting with. And, you know, we have a, a society that, you know, uh, my generation and, and below my generation that are, you know, all these children with disorders that are drugged. And that really is kind of not only add, are you adding a... A, a psychological, a you know, you this didn't happen. You don't believe it. But now you're also influencing them by putting them in a drug state. Yeah, I mean, and I, the, you know, that could be if you have to imagine that the the evolution of mankind as we are now doesn't happen. You know, we might be losing our little toe, but you know, we basically are in the same physical form that we were for the past two thousand, three thousand years. Our evolution has to be one of the mind. And, and I'm this be, is putting a block there. I'm being treated myself for for some sleep disorders and. And they're supposed to basically keep me asleep for the entire night. And uh, just to show you how strong some of the stuff is, I've been waking up a lot recently in the 3 o'clock hour. Mm. And those familiar with the paranormal know what that means. So we are, we're going to take a quick break, our last commercial break of the night, and then we'll be back to wrap it up here on Spooky South Coast. Yeah, but Tara takes that sound before you make it. 
It's actually after midnight here on Spooky South Coast. Strange occurrence for us to be on this late. It's a little bit paranormal in nature itself. So uh, we had a great show here with uh, Christopher Bolzano of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website. We will definitely have you back in the future. You can always keep us up to date. Feel free to call us anytime. Excellent. If you get any major reports from this area that you'd like to share with us. Well, thank you very much for allowing me to come in. Oh, it was great having you. And lots of uh, interesting information. And, and hopefully you found out some things that you can explore. And we certainly found out some things we can explore. And uh, don't forget, people out there, if you missed any portion of the show, if you're new to Spooky South Coast, just finding out about us, you can download the show in its entirety all week long at SpookySouthCoast.com. We have a live stream on the show. Well, not a live stream while we're on the air, but a, a stream on the website where you can click and listen to it while you're doing other stuff on your computer. Or if you go to iTunes, usually by Monday late afternoon, the iTunes moderators approve the show, and it is available for download on your iPod or other MP3 player. Again, I'm still trying to contact Apple because we plug iPods so much, the least they could do is throw us a free one, you know? So we're not above uh, taking swag, not at all. And also, uh, we'll also update the blog during the week to let you know about upcoming guests, uh, upcoming stories that we're going to be cover. And, of course, we have our all-new message board. So check out SpookySouthCoast.com uh, for more information. And uh, we want to hear from you all week long, so drop us an email. We will talk to you next week. Again, same situation, I believe, the NCAA tournament will be on. We don't know exactly when we'll come on, but please stick with us after basketball. We will be here at some point for you with Kristen Gartland of the Atlantic Paranormal Society. We'll see you here next week. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again, tomorrow. Tomorrow.